Welcome to the Four Listeners Program. Welcome aboard, everybody. Thanks for checking us out this week. What up, everybody? I'm Spear, and on the mics with me this week is the Z-Man. What is up, Z? Well, you see, you, you need somebody I, I, to duel with you if you're going to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard to duel by yourself. Yeah, where the, where the hell is Ganthor on that one? The, the mighty Ganthor, everybody. Where the hell are you on that one, buddy? Oh, I did. I, I was trying to make the connection. I finally made it. There you go. We have a guest joining us tonight, author of the book Dueling with Kings, uh, Dan Barbarisi. Welcome aboard. Gentlemen, thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. So, uh, so this week, something must be done about daily fantasy sports. Dan, Dueling with Kings is your story on getting into the, the world of daily fantasy sports. Yes, absolutely. Um, I wanted to kind of tell the story of that world as it was starting to explode onto the scene in early to mid-2015, and I felt like at that time, this is before the big ad blitz and before it was all scandalized and crazy and all that, that something was going to go crazy in this thing. It was going to blow up, and I wanted to be there to tell the story of it. And so I figured the best way to try to do that was to dive inside it and actually become try to become one of the top players at this and tell the story of how that world came to be, what's right with it, what's wrong with it, how the hell it all happened, how it grew so fast uh, from the inside. So that's essentially what I did, um, kind of diving in and uh, actually leaving my job, which was at the time I was the Yankees beat writer for the Wall Street Journal, uh, to try to train under the top players in that uh, and become one of them and see if that was possible and, frankly, if the whole thing was on the level. So have you did... listened to our show before? I have not. Because <laughs> you're, you're, I mean, you're, tr- you're taking this very professionally, which is a credit to yourself. But I feel like you're doing an interview with Hustler or something of that. <laughs> and we are not. You're not really familiar with Hustler. You don't know what audience they serve. Got and, it. Should I just show my tits? I can do that. Yes. Yes, you should. <laughs> All right. That, w- that wasn't where I was going. Today. How about I you guys? Like, I was actually looking to try to save your career. But. <laughs> nope. Oh, it's lost already. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> How bad is your book that you're this desperate for publicity? <laughs> I mean, it must be clearly terrible. Oh my god. <laughs> Well, no, how did you it's, it's, how did you get actually, started? How did you get started with the idea of the book? Like, what did you see in terms of how things were starting to trend in daily fantasy sports? So, I kind of got into it the way that a lot of other people did. I saw some of the commercials. And very interesting. Actually, that's not true. I hadn't actually seen a commercial yet. But I was at in Fenway Park at in the press box, and one of the other beat writers, guy John Tomasi from the Boston Herald, um, he came to me and said, "You got to check out this FanDuel thing. It's crazy. I'm like making a lot of money on it." And so I was immediately like, "What?" And so I thought holy shit, I'm a baseball beat writer. I should be able to be amazing at this thing. I'm going to make a ton of money as soon as I discovered it. I quickly found out that was not the case at all. And being a expert at something at the level where you're, they'll pay you to write about it basically didn't mean anything. And I was getting creamed by all the stuff that people came to know later, you know, the big multi-entry pros, the people duplicating lineups, people doing a lot of sketchy stuff. And that ticked me off. And I said, there's a lot of like average Joe type guys getting screwed in this. I need to try to delve into this and see what's really going on here. So that's kind of when I started getting into it, which was April and May of 2015. And the more I went into it, the more I believed there was like a real story there. So how does daily fantasy sports work for the uninitiated? How does it work? And, and you can do it. You can play daily fantasy sports in pretty much any of the, the major sports, whether it's basketball or baseball or football or hockey. It's what it's about. It's kind of like rotisserie baseball, right? You set up a lineup yeah. And then you kind of watch things uh, watch things happen throughout the day through the schedule of games. 
Yeah, it's the same thing as like, you know, you guys, I assume, have drafted fantasy football teams or probably fantasy baseball teams at some point. We've done and that on the show. Draft, yeah. I draft at the beginning of the season and, you know, you sit on that team for the rest of the year. The difference here is that they managed to make it for a one day variety. So you draft the team every day and they do it till the end of the day, you know, and then whatever the results are at the end of that day. That's what it is. The difference is the really important difference beyond the, the length of it is that you're able to bet real money on it on the Internet in, in a very high event frequency. You can do it every day. You can do it multiple times a day if you want. Yeah, and, and the amazing thing about it is, and you talked a little bit about it early on, is the amazing growth of daily fantasy sports and fantasy sports in general. Fantasy sports is a multi-billion dollar business that even now the, the actual leagues themselves are starting to get into. The NFL will host fantasy football leagues. None of, like, the Yahoo fantasy football or the ESPN or NFL or whatever else for, for your fantasy football leagues, they won't let you, they'll let you, they'll host it, they'll host your league, they'll do the draft, they'll do everything for you, all the scorekeeping and what have you, but you aren't allowed to put any money down. That's usually done someplace else. But in daily fantasy sports, you can. Yeah, I mean, they serve as, as the, the house, essentially, um, in the very similar context to a poker, poker, online poker game, you know, where they're taking a cut. You're not playing against the house. You're playing against other players. But the house is taking a cut. And again, they argued they were able to do that under that carve out. And that's what differentiates them from essentially every other form of gambling nationwide, that they built their game to the letter of the law of a carve out and said, if we can figure out how to adhere to that perfectly, we can manage to pull off nationalized legalized sports gambling. And that's effectively what happened over the last 10 years. And, you know, when it when it blew up, it had been percolating for eight or so years. You know, it blew up, I consider to be the summer of 2015. Um, but, you know, it was a, it was actually kind of a long way getting to that point as people would kind of ask, Is, isn't this gambling? Can we do this? And then at every turn, it would be essentially legally validated at the federal level. Yep. And people would say, OK, I guess we can get behind this. And then you start getting investors, you start getting NBC behind it. You start getting bigger things like then the sports leagues start getting involved in 2013, 2014. You get the NFL at least it's individual teams involved. You get MLB as a very early partner of DraftKings. You get the NHL and NBA signing on. And so all of a sudden, you've got this big groundswell of support for this thing. And then everyone basically says, all right, I guess it's cool if all these big people are behind it. So at that point, it kind of was. And everyone thought it was going to go gangbusters until it started to run into real trouble. Well, I mean, it, it, it was gangbusters for quite a while. I mean, around 2015, you could not watch an NFL game without getting bombarded with commercials from both DraftKings and FanDuel. I mean, it was like every commercial. And not only that, but NFL had prominent placement for all of the signage and things along those lines. Um, they, they had sponsorship. It was like the... Yep, the various like FanDuel fan zones and yeah. things like that and DraftKings bars and stuff like that at different places. Yeah, they had prominent sponsorship and placement in like big areas of the stadium. So there was, there was not only... You couldn't escape it on the commercial breaks, but you couldn't escape it just by looking at the, at the stadium itself, whether you were watching it on TV or you were actually at the game. And yeah, it was, it I mean, that's, remarkable. that's exactly what it was. That was the, I call that the kind of the ad blitz period. And uh, and they were crazy. And they had spent they spent seven hundred fifty million dollars over the course of that year on advertising as each company tried to kill the other. And you literally would have things where you'd have a drafting commercial. Then you'd have a FanDuel commercial. Then you'd have a drafting commercial literally back to back to back yep. during a commercial break. And it made people insane. It made people so crazy. It was like it's kind of the great, I think, example of a situation where companies can actually advertise themselves into trouble. Because, you know, they ticked everyone off with the level and ubiquity of their advertising to a point where I think everyone was hoping for these guys to screw up, hoping for them to fail, 
because it was so aggravating to have these freaking commercials on at all times. And you just wanted them to go away. Yeah, and, I and think so that's, you know, that's, but that's what happened did, to them yeah. too. They there were so many there were so many commercials, and they got so much visibility that even if they got past the federal loopholes, the state government started to take a much closer look. The Delaware state government, New York state government, there were several states that took a very close look at to as to what they were doing and what their business model was, and they started to make some tough decisions about that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, so that's what happened in the early part of. October 2015, which is when things start to go a little crazy, which is that at then they have what's called the Ethan Haskell scandal, which becomes this big scandal where this employee at DraftKings. So one of the things that I immediately discovered when I was starting to do this is like, wait, holy shit, people from one company are allowed to play, people who work in one company are actually allowed to play as like high level gamblers on the other company's games. Right. So if you're a DraftKings employee, you can go in on FanDuel's baseball games tonight, bet tens of thousands of dollars and like Wait, you don't have some sort of a, an edge because you work at DraftKings? You understand how their games operate? Come yeah, in. The scoring systems, the algorithms, you you know how yeah, this stuff well, goes. Absolutely. You understand how the games are built because they were basically built all the same way. They're just slight variations on one another. In some cases, built by the same people because there was a lot of uh, trading back and forth between employees. Absolutely. Absolutely. No question. So, you know, so then this became this big thing where this guy, Ethan Haskell, won a ton of money um, in FanDuel's big contest on the same day that he had inadvertently screwed up and released information about player ownership percentages on DraftKings that day. And as soon as people found out about that, there was a big uproar in the DFS community, and people got all mad at him, and I think they thought it was going to blow over, but then it hit the national media. The New York Times was the first to do a big story on it, and you know they labeled it as, as a version of insider trading, yep. and as soon as that started to go all around, you know, it was off to the races on these guys. So that's when, as you said, all those attorney generals started to look into this, and they started to see there was stuff to be found all over the place and they could easily put it out and say oh there's something wrong here there's something wrong here there's something wrong here and that's when these guys became in real trouble because weren't they starting to point out some of the basic fairness of some of these things because it wasn't about whether or not you were actually skillful at doing this but what wasn't it like there was some small single digit percentage of players in these leagues that actually won 90 percent of the money yes that's the stat that's most often quoted from a study from the summer of 2015 um I believe by McKinsey and Associates, where they noted that in the baseball season, 1% of the players were taking home 90% of the winnings. And that's ridiculous. you know. And that's because people who were good at this already were allowed to leverage their advantage to a very, I think, unfair degree through use like of things like multi-entry, mass multi-entry systems, and because the constraints on how often on, they were able up. to enter. Yep. What's mass multi-entry? Box. Okay, so say if you have a, a one of these big contests where... Let's say it's supposed to have fifty thousand, or let's say five thousand total entries, right? And the top prize is fifty thousand dollars. Okay, the more times you enter that, the more you're giving yourself a chance to win. Now you've got to pay for that. Um, every entry costs you money, but the guy with five hundred entries in that, if he can say take up ten percent of the field just by himself, he can cover a lot of smart possibilities on what's going to happen. Versus the guy with three entries, who basically is is you know a single bullet hoping to hit something. And, you know, it's been significantly proven over time that if you're good at this and you're allowed to leverage mass multi-entry to a good degree and you're allowed to take up like 10 percent of the field, you can dominate in an unbelievable way. And there were people that were and, doing this programmatically. They were doing this by by gaming, yeah, scripting. Yeah, yeah, scripting, by scripting this so that they mm-hmm. could they could create all of these entries and use algorithms and whatever else. So it became less about skill. Well, I mean, there's some skill in terms of how you program the algorithm, but. It was less about the actual the actual person's skill about the entry itself, and more about just putting more entries in a raffle. 
yes, I mean, putting smart injuries in, they actually, they can't just be random, because that is that is a recipe for losing. But as long as you're pretty good at it, and these guys were pretty good, and had honed this over years, you know, they a lot of the best guys have been doing this for three or four years by the time this ad blitz showed up and everyone else in America figured this out. And that's one of the big problems I have with is the commercials are basically saying, hey, you know a little bit about football? Come play DraftKings. You'll win $1,000 every week. You know, it's impossible to lose. It's money just waiting for you to collect it. And that was ridiculous. That was completely false advertising. And so these guys who had spent years getting good at this and then starting to know that they could build systems to optimize how good they were, were then able to take advantage. These guys were you know, called sharks. And they were then able to have these huge schools of fish just flowing at them at all times. And they destroyed them. And that's what was happening in August and September 2015. And tons of people lost tons of money to these best players who were just cleaning up at that time. Yeah, the commercials have like, you know, Joe Schmo sitting in his backyard with his, with his mobile phone, right, filling out his lineup while he's sitting having a barbecue with a kid in his lap. Yeah, and if you do that, you're almost definitely going to lose. doesn't mean you can't get lucky because you can. <laughs> but, you know, for a large part, you're competing against people who have very highly efficient systems and have spent years honing a craft. And you're like, I think Tom Brady's good. You're going to get your ass handed to you. How much room for error do you have? In the very big contest, very little. In the smaller ones, if it's like 100 people in it, you don't have to have the best lineup ever to survive. But in the ones where people are talking about winning a million dollars, you basically have to get everything right. You have to pick like every great player that day because there's like the, the best of every position. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, not not exactly, but pretty darn close. That's what, you know, in a, in a thing with like 50,000 entries. And that's why if you're able to say, you know, people think of it as like covering the board and roulette with all that mass multi-entry. I think it's more like covering the corner. In sports, you can generally figure out a pretty good idea of what's probably going to happen, but the specifics are very, very hard. But if you can get the basic idea and then cover all the permutations for those likely scenarios, it may not happen every week, but more often than not, you're going to crush. And that's what ended up happening. So this is where this is where we get into the conversation about how DraftKings and FanDuel position Daily Fantasy Sports as a skill game versus gambling. Because what they continue to maintain is that the Daily Fantasy Sports is a game of skill that it requires managers of of these lineups in all of these different games have to use their knowledge to do what you just said, which is to understand what's going on, what all the different permutations, what the matchups are for the different players, who's hurt, who's not. Uh, it's it's a game of skill to understand all of those things and to fill out a lineup that gives you the best opportunity to win. Yeah, it's not wrong. It is a game that requires skill. That doesn't mean it's not gambling. And that's the fundamental disconnect. So I think part of the deal is that, so you start to get into a really weird legal thicket here. By any colloquial definition, daily fantasy sports is gambling. And anyone who says it's not probably works for one of the companies. It is <laughs> absolutely gambling in the same sense that poker is gambling. In the same sense as poker, though, you know, poker is not the lottery. Poker is not blackjack. And neither is daily fantasy sports. In both those things, there are a wide variety of outcomes. And if you are a better player, you will win over time at a highly significant rate over a poorer player. That, they argue, means that they are not gambling by the letter of the law in a number of states. That, to me, is ridiculous. Because, quite frankly, poker is considered gambling in all of those same states. And poker and daily fantasy sports are very similar. Except for New Jersey. New Jersey is a special case, as is Las Vegas. Uh, pardon me, Nevada. But, but in most states, I mean, so the, the, the reason why this, this game of skill thing became such a thing. So in about 25% of states, or 25 states, about half the states, if your game 
is dominated by skill. And, you know, it's essentially kind of more 50%, you know, upwards of 50%. If your game is upwards of 50% skill, you are defined as a game of skill, and you can be exempted from most of a state's gambling laws. In about 12 states, if you are majority game of chance, you are defined as that, and you are subject to those states' gambling laws. In the other 12, it's much less clear. It's very murky. There's, I can get all kinds of stuff. There's a thing called a material element test. Nobody wants to go there. The point is, in those states, which include places like New York, which is the biggest daily fantasy state, and many others that are very, very, very big, for whatever reason, the big states have it like that, it's very murky. And so these this companies were very, very wary of being defined legally as gambling by the legal standards of those specific states. So to make sure that didn't happen to them, they constantly said, we're not gambling in any way, shape, or form, which fails the smell test on every level. It's ridiculous, obviously. But what they cared about was not being thought of as gambling in any colloquial sense. They just were worried about having their words thrown back to them when that eventually got to a court of law, which it did in November of 2015 in the state of New York. So New York bans DraftKings or Daily Fantasy Sports in general, and then somewhere along the line allows it back. Yes, and that's a lot of what I actually kind of went through in the book. In November 2015, the New York State Attorney General took them to court and said, this is gambling under state law. We want to shut you down. There was this hearing. It was crazy. It was all over the place in lower Manhattan. You know, hundreds of people packing courtrooms and all that. And um, they argued these points in front of the judge. The judge eventually sided with the state and said, this is gambling. You can't do this. But then they immediately appealed. They over the, the appeals judge actually overturned it. So that kind of put the whole thing in a weird little limbo. Four or five months later, the companies actually reached a settlement with the New York State Attorney General because they knew they were going to lose eventually in court. And they said, we'll pull out for now with the idea that we're going to go in front of the state legislature and get them to change the law and make us exempt because we believe that we shouldn't be converted out in the same law as the poker is. That led to a crazy end of the last night of the session thing in New York, which was really for the fate of all daily fantasy and took place in June of 2016. And I would happen to be up there for that as well, kind of being trying to cover that. Um, and they managed to get one of the last bills the state of New York passed. And two hours after midnight on the last night of the session was to exempt essentially daily fantasy from statewide gambling laws. And that was the biggest victory that I think the fantasy sports industry has ever had from its inception in 1979, because it allowed the whole thing to say that the biggest state, the one that fought them the most, is going to say you're OK. And that's why they still exist today. But they're never going to be what they were or what they hoped they'd be in that 2015, you know, crazy overheated period. Wait, hold on. is the state getting a cut? The state is getting cut. Absolutely. And all the states that are following suit around the country and New Jersey actually passed a significant measure to that end today are all getting a cut. And they say, we're going to treat this kind of like a lottery. We're going to tax it. We're going to regulate it. So a lot of the shit that you guys saw a year ago doesn't happen anymore. And we're going to take our cut. And it depends by state. But every state takes their piece. Then they're cool with it. Well, so there are about a dozen or so. There's 11, actually. There's there's 10 where DraftKings and FanDuel aren't accepting new customers at all. And there's and one where, there's only, Texas. where only FanDuel um, – only Texas was FanDuel is out of commission. How has that not been a, a precedent-setting type of thing for these other states? Did they just elect not to get into this? I mean Nevada is one of those states. Well, Nevada is different. Nevada says we're cool with you, but we consider you to be gambling. And they say, please register under our state gambling laws. We'd love to have you. As soon as they do that, they're going to admit that they are that legally and on the record. And that will then put them in legal jeopardy in the other 49 states. Oh, there you go. So they can't do Nevada. Five of those sense. other states are states that have a test that says any element of chance 
means you are a gambling enterprise and we won't have you. So you knock out six right off the bat. The other four and to five, depending on what you're looking at with Texas, are ones where they've been trying to now get back into them. And they're fighting to have that happen by the end of the legislative sessions, you know, which will be in the summer. So you, you mentioned earlier that anyone who looks at this reasonably, looking at daily fantasy sports, anybody who looks at it reasonably looks at it and says, that's gambling. Yep. And you also mentioned earlier that a lot of the uh, sports leagues were investors. Mm-hmm. The NFL itself is an investor, but no, mixed... the NFL is the only one of the big four sports leagues that is not an official partner. But a lot of its teams are. But and some of its uh, some of the owners of uh, of the national uh, the National Football League right. franchises well, yeah, through those teams. Yes. Like so Robert Kraft, Jerry the ones Jones. Points to are the Cowboys, right. You know, under Jerry Jones and the Patriots under Bob Kraft, who are both very tied in. Right. So given all of that, how in the hell do they still maintain these? A, how do they maintain the investments? And B, how do they still maintain their stances? Because they are all very, very much anti-gambling. I mean, the NFL talks a great deal about protecting the shield and not allowing the, the idea of gambling to potentially interfere with the integrity of their game. Well, there's two answers to that. The first one is that the thing about gambling that has always made the leagues most concerned is the ability to fix games and how that's their biggest issue. And realistically... As much as there's a lot of things I think are wrong with Daily Fantasy and the things that have been done investing in it, that's not wrong. It is remarkably difficult to imagine a scenario where Daily Fantasy Sports could involve a game being fixed or an outcome being thrown in a major American sports league. It's just, it's a level of difficult and outlandish that is almost, it's just too much. And the leagues looked at this and they said, yeah, there's really no concern with that. So that part of it, which has always been their overriding anger against gambling, or their overriding concern with gambling, is not really that big of an issue here. Now, the next part of it that, you know, gambling is bad and, you know, blah, 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 blah. They're full of it on that, and they always have been. Um, beyond the game-fixing thing, they don't care. I mean, injury reports, that's pure gambler information. You know, like, eh, the fact that they've always gotten behind, you know, spreads and stuff like that. Right. The NFL, especially, and all the other leagues as well, have always had a wink-wink, nod-nod relationship with all this stuff. And it is my belief and my contention that they looked at daily fantasy sports as something of a trial balloon for the question of larger nationalized sports gambling, which I think is coming within the next five to seven years. And I think a lot of this, and you can look at the comments of, you know, Adam Silver in particular at the NBA as a big part of that. And, you know, they have openly, he's openly said, I am supporting DFS or pardon me, openly supporting I sports sports gambling in a regulated nationalized legalized way. And it is no coincidence that FanDuel was a very early and very significant partner of the NBA and the NBA bought into them completely and said, we want to support this and help it grow. So, you know, I think for the most part beyond the match fixing thing, which is a real concern and you know, that beyond that, the leagues are mostly full of it when it comes to sports gambling. Yeah. And you're starting to see the, the softening on that stance now too, when you see a a hockey team starting in Las Vegas this season, the the Raiders moving to Vegas, the NFL, uh, the, the, the NBA has long since had a dalliance with Vegas hosting big events there. Uh, so you're, you're starting to see the, the softening of that because for a while they wouldn't touch Las Vegas you know, for any reason as, you know, as a, a town to hold events or to, God forbid, put a franchise there. Uh, but you're seeing that soften now a little bit. Do you, do you think that the two things are related? I think they're completely connected, yes. And I think everything and everything we're talking about here is all part of the same conversation uh, of leading towards basically legalized sports gambling in America. I, I, I think it's a ball rolling down at this point, and everyone's just going to figure out how they can get their biggest piece of the pie. 
That's the question now. Where and how it's going to happen, to me, not necessarily when. So would you recommend daily fantasy sports to a friend? <laughs> well, let's write, write a Yelp review. <laughs> um, it would probably start with daily fantasy sports is much better than it used to be. But holy shit, be careful. So if you're just looking to do it as like a recreational thing where you think this enhances your enjoyment of a game, whereas if you're going to the game that night and you basically want to have a little money on it or on players doing it and you want to be like, you know, hey, I'm going to a hockey game tonight and I'm I'm going to take the top line of the Boston Bruins and I'm going to get extra psych when Patrice Bergeron scores because I'm going to win some money on that. But you know that you're probably not going to make real money. You know that you you have a better, much better chance of losing than winning. Then, yeah, do it in the same way you go to a casino and do blackjack. You know the house is probably going to win in the long run, right? Don't think you have any special knowledge that's going to help that be otherwise. If you're doing that in that context, great. If you're sitting here going, hey, man, I'm so good at sports and I know so much. I'm going to make a killing on this. Then you are an idiot. And I will tell you to run away and also don't be my friend anymore. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fair enough as, point. And as, as somebody who has gone to a Boston Bruins game with Dan uh, <laughs> and while he had money on, on, on different games, uh, it was quite exciting to watch. <laughs> Yeah, I think we did pretty well that night, if I remember correctly. I, I believe you did. Yeah. So, right. So, as part of the book, um, as part of this, basically trying to get inside this thing and investigate this, you know, I did become one of the premier daily fantasy players at, at daily fantasy hockey, of all things. I, again, I thought I was going to do it in baseball, but I ended up long-term sucking in baseball and lost a ton of money on it. But in hockey, I managed to become something of a, I don't know, weird little savant in it. But And that made for a kind of a crazy experience. And I, you know, I had all that strange stuff that happened where you go from not knowing anything about this to literally gambling thousands of dollars a night, which is something I never could have ever imagined years ago or a year ago or two years, two years ago, really, you know, the, the way the whole relationship with money changed, the whole thing was crazy, honestly, ended up going to like the playboy mansion and, you know, the big events, all the money and stuff from the commercials you see flying around. Like that was the life I lived. Uh, and it was totally insane, but that's what it was. That's really what that world was at that time. And it still is that to some extent. But, you know, these companies have now realized like, oh, maybe that's not the best look for us. And so they've turned that down now. And now they're like, oh, it's all about the the entertainment of the game. It's not about the money, which is freaking ridiculous. And, you know, like that's that's what it is now. But, yeah, so for a while, I definitely lived the over the top part of it. Now let's get the juicy stuff out. Let's get the fun things out like uh um, what was the craziest bet you've ever seen one of the uh, one of the people at one of these things do? As I assume they bet on everything, right? Oh, they bet on absolutely everything. Let's see. The other night, one of the guys was they were betting on skee ball at five thousand dollars on fucking skee ball, and you know they pay. They do literally pay. You know, I've never done anything like that. There's side bets on everything. I mean, I remember on me once, another guy bet ten thousand dollars on how my fucking daily fantasy team would do that that night. What? And it was like, wait, really? You're doing this on me? That's insane. Don't do that. But they what's, do it. What's the biggest bet that you've made on in one night? The most I ever had out at one night, unless you count things like those finals with the big checks and all that, was probably seven and a half thousand. And I think I lost almost all of it. So that sucked. And are you willing to disclose the largest you've won? Uh, the largest I won at any one time was hundred thousand. What? Yep. Nice work, dude. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Most of I've ever won one. I, I disclose everything. I have to write a book about it. I tell everyone everything. That was the whole point: is live this life and tell what it's really like, you know, for real. Yeah. And so that was kind of the idea, Gonzo journalism. All right. So what did we learn? What did we learn about daily fantasy sports? Z-Man, what did you learn? 
for as much as a gambler as I am, I can't believe I've never actually done a online daily fantasy sport. Well, all right. You gonna start, or are you gonna take your buddy's advice? It's it's probably a good idea for me not to. <laughs> I don't think you know nearly enough about sports to get into this. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, you, it's just, if it's a if it's a game of skill, dude, you got no skills. It's true. <laughs> yeah. I I only win when it's a game of luck. There you go. Uh, even <laughs> even the losers get lucky sometimes. Right. Uh, Ganthor, what did you learn? Z looks like that Intel Future guy. <laughs> what? 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 You ever seen that commercial? I don't understand you, dude. Do you not watch TV? I don't watch commercials. You don't watch commercials. You see those past them. Well, next time, if you see an Intel commercial, watch the commercial. Don't. Yeah. Then you'll know what Ganthor learned. What did I learn? I learned that Daily Fantasy Sports is right on the edge of... Well, no, it's not on the edge of anything. It's fucking gambling, and we should just call it that. Yeah, I mean, it's like porn, right? You know it when you see it. It's it's gambling. No question. I, I like boobs. I like boobs. So if uh, if you think that daily fantasy sports is gambling, uh, why don't you go ahead and let us know on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash four listeners or four listeners.com. You can check out the show on Stitcher Radio, on iTunes, or on Google Play. Just search for four listeners, and we'll pop right up. And you can give us a tweet on the Twitters at four listeners. Uh, Dueling with Kings is uh, available wherever fine books are sold. The author is Dan Barbarisi. Thanks for being with us this week. Oh, I'm so happy I could be here. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, and we thank all of you for checking us out this week, and we hope that you will check us out again next week. Thanks a bunch, everybody. <laughs> I got nothing else. I mean, we whizzed through every bit of every bit of topic that I wanted. Do, you, do either one of the this, two? This has to be one of the most professional uh, interviews I think we've ever done. <laughs> uh, on, a, on a scale of like one to, to, to on a scale of like a uh, 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 high school uh, interview session and uh, interviewing with like CNN, how did we do? Actually, pretty good. <laughs> that was you guys were pretty well informed on it. Uh, and, and look, you know, we can just curse and fart and stuff if you want now. I don't care. <laughs> I'm down. <laughs>